Welcome to Budo, the Way of the Warrior podcast. This podcast is a collection of historical and philosophical references, contemplations, lectures, and exchanges with David M. Valadez, his students, and guests. Podcasts are recorded on the mat at the Sension Center in Southern California and in studio. These podcasts are provided to cultivate the warrior on the way and to add light to their path. So there were questions that you guys wanted covered, but we have to address some of the things that I'm seeing on the mat today. There's a lot of cowardice on the mat, right? And it's good in the sense that, okay, it gives us an opportunity to work on it. It's good in the sense that uh, the dojo is doing its job because fear reconciliation requires the presence of fear. So your training has to bring fear onto the mat. Otherwise, you cannot reconcile anything. Otherwise, your attempt at some sort of spiritual maturity or spiritual cultivation is really just an intellectual process, which is no reconciliation at all. So we have to have fear on the mat, but at the same time, if you don't make that part of your training, then all that happens is you get beaten down. In many ways, the person who is forged stronger through trial and the person who is made weaker through trial, it's not the trials, it's the person. It's the perspective that they bring to that trial. If you don't recognize your fear, if you don't recognize your flinch response, right, your disengagement, if you don't recognize it, then it remains unconscious, at least intellectually, but physiologically, emotionally, you know it's there. Your body is responding to it. You're, you're basically just suffering abuse. Because as you left it unconscious, you did not bring it to the surface and make it part of your training. It's just an abuse you endure and you wait for the hour to end and then you're, on, you're off and to the next distraction, the next medication or what have you. So we had some training in range to learn the difference between a snapping strike and a thrusting strike. It changes the my. And we doubled that, that duty of that training to work on your flinch response. But I still saw a lot of flinching. And in the same way, then, when we did this last, this last technique where, you know, you're coming in with a strike and you're being struck with a knee shot, now all of a sudden everyone's pulling their strike. That's, that's a, a fear response. Then we also had, oh, you're pulling your strike and... The, the atemi that you're receiving is doing its job. It's preoccupying your mind. And now you can't find your role because your role was always an intellectual process. And so now you pull out again until you're ready to roll. That's not ukemi. It's rolling, but rolling is not ukemi. So every time you are hesitant, you can think of it as a flinch response, a type of disengagement, an absence of reconciled fear. And your job as a deshi in Budo is to, hey, I'm messing up. Here's the problem. I see the problem. I'm messing up. 
So bring it to the surface, but then address it. Address it in your training. If, you, if you're pulling out of the technique because you don't like that strike that's hitting you or you don't know where your fall is going to be, get up, do it again. Don't stumble the exact same way for the next three, four reps, the next 10 minutes. All forms of cowardice are problematized in Budo. So tonight's technique, it, it was gentle. But it was done in a way where your mind wasn't quite yours. And we saw the flinch response come out. People were like, oh, 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 oh where, where's my roll? Where's my roll? Oh, oh no, I'm not going to roll then. Like you have rolls to waste. We, none of us have rolls to waste. Especially the beginner people. You got to catch up. You haven't even got to a point where the teacher can have you feel something of his technique. Come on, you're wasting time. So when you feel yourself, oh, I pulled out of that one, I pulled out, right? Get up, do it again, and this time, don't pull out. Do you feel that strike? you feel that kick coming to your midsection? You know it's going to be spinal penetration or it's going to be thrust penetration? And you moved beforehand? Hey, I moved beforehand. I flinched. I ran away. Get up. Do it again. And this time, I'm not moving. Maybe you flinch again. Same thing. Get up. Say it again to yourself, I flinched again, I flinched again. Bring it to that conscious level. Don't leave it at an unrecognized level where your small self can dismiss it as something extra to the training, as if it was, really? So when we do small drills, small you know, stepping stones to help you with your fear reconciliation, to help you with your flinch response, to help you with unfettering your mind, not having fear cause you to hyper-focus or to be captured mentally, when we do those drills, they have to be challenging. They have to get you to flinch. Otherwise, they don't work. But if we get you to flinch and then you don't take responsibility for the flinch, then those drills don't work again. Does that make sense? So I'm really not a fan of you, you pulling out of rolls. Right? We have these gentle flinches, these gentle flinch techniques. And in their gentleness, you can pull out. But in real application, you're not going to pull out. And all the years that go by where you would have reconciled your flinch, where we can make this more realistic, less a drill, more an application, you're not ready for it. And you know what? It's never going to be done on you. I'm not going to do it on you. You can't take it. So if the drill allows for you to pull out, which it has to, it has to generate a flinch and it has to give you an out. Otherwise, it's not a spiritual tool. Do you, do you understand that?
If I nail your feet to the ground and shoot you with a freeze, a Dr. Freeze or whatever gun, you go, oh, he didn't move. He didn't flinch. That's not the same. It's the generating of the fear while maintaining the possibility of retreating, of disengaging. That that is the elixir for the virtue of courage. You can't get it another way. Do you understand that? I can't make you not move. If I make you not move, then you're not going to get the virtue. You have to make yourself not move. You have to hold yourself true to the task at hand and not let your fear drive you. So let's not pull out of things. Hang in there. You know you did it. Do you guys get that? Any questions or comments on that? So this next one, let me uh, find them. So there, the, the two questions you guys had are kind of related. Um, rather than listing the questions, let, let, let me just speak on this. So it, It's about really an application of Budo to outside the dojo. Again, you guys don't know any better because most of you just were born here in this dojo. Your Buddha was born here. But in many, many places, that's a strange concept. In many dojo. Some people actually appreciate the idea that, hey, I go to the dojo to get away from it. Some will utter cautionary tales. Man, if your dojo becomes everything, then you're probably in a cult. But the history of Budo and what preceded Budo by another name is really a body-mind practice by which the entirety of your being can be cultivated and viewed through. Anybody who makes a dojo an escapism or an isolated institution or entity, that's a new chapter in Buddha. It's not Buddha. There's, a, there's another paradigm shift, even another paradigm break. As a historian, I would say, well, you're calling it Buddha, but it's not, it's not Buddha. 
Just as I would say, uh, there was a time when they didn't call it Budo. And there was a time when they interchanged Budo with another word. But even in those cases, the idea was the same, that this practice could capture, could, could encapsulate the entirety of your subjectivity. Your experience of yourself and your experience of the world. Do, do you get it? Because it was born out of that. Buddha was born out of principles that were themselves universal in that same sense. And they said, hey, why can't you fight like that? Well, you can. Do, do you get that? They, they were born out of a universality. Take, for example, a concept of yin and yang. You, you can't get Aikido without understanding that concept. It wasn't that Aikido came first and then they go, hey, there's yin and yang. No, yin and yang came first. And when yin and yang came first, they said, and there is no place and no thing and no time and no one that is not subject to yin and yang. Then some idiot goes, what about Aikido? What, the, what did I just say? Well, I don't want my Aikido to be subject to that. I just want to go and I just want to work out. It's a paradigm shift, a paradigm break. Because it's not a good thing. That kind of thinking has no conscience of, of the history, of how the art actually functions. It's, it's a view based in ignorance. So these principles were universal. They are even predating the religious schools that we might identify now. So we might want to say, oh, oh, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's Buddhism. No, it predates it. The ism part, that ism is pretty new. In the, in the, in the spectrum of human history. You go, oh, it's Taoist. And it was the same thing, the ist, the ist, that's relatively new. The Tao existed way before ist existed. You go yin, yin, yang, or yin. It's, a, it's Chinese folk religion. <laughs> oh, no. No, because by the time, before, it was way before they had ritual based on yin-yang that you now identify folk religion by. These are ancient concepts whose origins, you will always be wrong because you'll, you as a modern person will want to use ist and isms. And so you'll, you'll attribute some origin that oh, was way late. But we don't have to worry about that because we're not academics. We're practitioners. I don't need to know where the concept came from. I just need to use it. And I can see in the using of it, there is a kind of practicality to it. And in all things practical, there's a kind of truth to it. In, 
And when you don't surround your truth with certificates and diplomas and other time, other types of institutional symbolic capital, it, practicality is all that counts. So much so that, you know, you have an academic and they're lecturing on yin and yang and you as a practitioner will go, yeah, you don't get it. You, you're Usually, for example, it's very much uh, a, uh, based in dichotomy and assignment. They always, if, you take a early, if you take Chinese philosophy in the university, you're going to get a list. They're going to give you a yin and yang, and then it always comes with a list. Someone made a list, yeah, but way after the concept was utilized and generated. Yes, maybe hundreds of years before this academic course came about, but that's already maybe a thousand years after it was being used. By probably another academic. So for the practitioner, yin and yang is dynamic and shifting constantly. It's constantly moving. And if you go women are yin and men are yang, you're going to fucking miss it. Edimi is yang, tenkan is yin. You're going to miss it. And you're not going to capture it even if you go, oh, there's a little bit of tenkan in edimi. No. You're going to miss it because it's all about shifting. It's all about interdependency. Dynamic interdependency. And the second you, you stabilize it so you can list it or identify it, now it's not dynamic anymore. And now you lost it. We see that in Aikido when people, why, why, why does your Edimi not fit? Why is there no penetration in your Tenkan? So these concepts at the root of Budo, they were universal already, and that's how they got applied to Budo. So Budo is universal. What, what is it then? Why don't I just call it yin-yang? Because it is using martial training to cultivate the practitioner in this, what I'm going to call a worldview. Because the point is not to write a textbook on it or to write and do a PowerPoint or some sort of presentation on it. The point is to actually develop a skill set in you. So Tenkan, for example, is not just a foot maneuver where when I'm being pushed, I turn. Or I move in a way to reconcile the conflict that is generated. That, that is not just Tenkan, nor is it then a metaphor. Which is what I tend to see in when people try to bring their Buddha outside of the dojo. It, only, it comes to the level of metaphor. Where they go, this is like that. That's because you're a modern person looking at a pre-modern practice. The pre-modern person didn't have metaphors. And Buddha is not a metaphor. When you practice this reconciliation of conflict or this harmonizing of yin and yang energies... 
or when you don't contest for space, a, a phrase we use here, it's not just a philosophical concept. In very much like the fear, the generation of the, of the flinch with the possibility of disengagement sets you up for the cultivation of the virtue of courage. The training will generate a conflict and it'll give you the possibility of contesting it. Do you see? Of pushing into what's pushing on you, for example. And what do you have to do? Well, if you push on it, you're going to get pushed out. You're going to, if, if we're rolling or we're doing Rondori or even Giwaza and you're pushing on what's pushing on you, even at the most gentle levels of training, you are going to prematurely exhaust. You're going to get gassed out. And of course, you're not learning jujitsu. You're not learning Aikido. So you have to resist that temptation to push back. Do you see that? And it's not at a philosophical level. It's at a practical level. Don't push back. Don't contest. Harmonize. Where? In my mind? No. First in your body. Right? Then you realize, shit, it actually starts in my mind. Then you go, fuck, that wasn't right either. I don't know where it starts. But I don't care because I'm not an academic. All I know is that through the training of this body-mind practice through the years, I go from unconsciously pushing back on what's pushing on me to recognizing when I push on what's pushing on me to releasing the urge to push back against what is pushing on me. And I developed that as a skill. As unconscious as I was of my pushing back, you will become conscious of your releasing. You will feel it. it. It will not just be an idea. You will feel it. Because every time you push back, whether it's on the mat or in the workplace or in your marriage, it doesn't just show up in your mind like an idea. It shows up in your body. You hold your breath. You tense the area around your eyes. Your shoulders raise. There's a, a hormonal release. Your pulse will, will increase, right? At the beginning, all that happens, you don't notice it. Soon you become conscious of it, and soon you become conscious of the feeling of releasing. It's a skill. Releasing is a skill that begins with a recognition. Ah, I'm captured. Poof, I'm not. It's not a state. You can't stay in it. So when I say skill, I mean a perishable skill. And like I say, all perishable skills are determined by three main factors. The quality of your training in that skill. The frequency of your training in that skill. And the duration between when you need to apply that skill and the last time you train to cultivate it. Those will determine whether you can release or not. And under what conditions. And under what intensity. And to what degree.
So it doesn't change in your in your kihon waza. The technique is pushing on you, and right now, the beginner always pushes back. And they have the same physiological response I just described, the same hormonal response, but they're totally unaware of it. In the same way, the person who's not taking their budo outside of the dojo, their boss is pushing on them, their job is pushing on them, their deadline, their spouse, their kids, they're having the same unconscious physiological response. And they don't recognize it. And if you're hanging out with a bunch of other people who are doing that, guess what? That's the norm. Now you have no reason to recognize it. So if we go back to the flinch and the fear, the unreconciled fear and the lack of the courage virtue, the problem was there, but your solution is part of the problem. It's not a solution. Same thing. They're pushing on you. Uke is pushing on you. You're Naga. you pushing back on Uke. You think that's the solution. It's not the solution. That's part of the problem. Same thing at work. I'm going to tell. I'm going to tell my boss off. He's not getting it. Or the person under you. Hey, they're really crappy. I'm going to go tell them. It's not going to work. You're going to screw those relationships over. Could be your spouse. You're going to screw it over. Because you're going to push on what's pushing on you. And that's a no-no by these, this universal worldview. No, 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 no. That doesn't work. We figured it out. Don't do it. We see it here in Aikido. Don't do it. It doesn't work. But we make our mistakes, right? So we're like, okay, I'm going to push on this, causing the problem. Hey, teacher's telling me not to push on this. What do we do? I'm going to go weak. I'm going to be really weak in PJ. Oh, man, that's not it either. You See, you don't understand, Yin Yang. You just did polarities. That's all you did. You don't get dynamic interdependency. The point of not pushing back is not to be weak. It's that not... Pushing on what's pushing on me makes me superior, stronger. It gives me victory. It's not a weakness. It's just the application of a worldview. That people a long time ago figured out this stuff works. Trust me. Try it. Try it. Stop talking about it. Get it in your tissue. Make it a skill. Apply it. Hold yourself. Just like the, the, the fear and the courage virtue. Oh, man. I recognize. I feel the, the pressure. Maybe it is my high blood pressure. Oh, Maybe it's my compromised immune system. These are all stress-related. Maybe it's my poor sleep. Maybe it's my carb addiction or my self-medication. Carb addiction is a self-medication. Maybe it's my anxiety or my depression. Hey, 
you are getting pushed past your limits. That's why your body, your organism that is you is not taking it. It's giving you clues. So what you as a Budoka go back to the universal philosophy or universal real view or universal mind practice and go, if I am feeling like this, I must be pushing back. I'm not harmonizing yin and yang. That's how a practitioner uses this. So, again, your question was like, how do you do all this stuff all day long? And, oh, man, I, your question was kind of like a state question. Like I reached a state like I reach a state of being. You're going to reach a state of being. And life is going to become peaceful. And no, I don't know anything about that. I am not hippie Jesus. I hate hippie Jesus. The warrior takes this softness over hardness, right? Not to live a cushioned life, but to bear more. To carry more burden. So like you do your squats, you don't you don't go, "Hey, I can do X weight and now you stay at X weight." You just keep loading the bar. It gets harder. That's the way for me. You take these worldviews not to do less, not to make your current plate seem less, but to do more. To always be on that edge where I'm, I'm going to break then why are you going to break? You must be contesting. Find it. Ah, here it is. Release. Poof. Gone. Okay, what else do you got? Put it on my plate. I'll do it. That's the way for a practitioner. It's not, it's not the absence of conflict. It's the reconciliation of conflict. What a pipe dream. The absence of conflict. What a joke. If that view came to us, I'm going to put my money on two people. The academic who doesn't do it Right? Or that man that's hiding out in a gate, you know, behind a gate, behind temple walls, with no kids and no job and no wife. But I say bullshit even then. Because he's fucking having a hard time with his fellow monk and his abbot. And this fucking cleaning detail. And he certainly is no fucking cop. Then you can, then, okay, talk about the absence of conflict. No, I have, I have nothing to do with that. To me, that's a fantasy. It's not worth having. It's a kind of weakness, isn't it? I don't want trial. That's my goal. No trial. Oh, what a fantasy. I want to be able to resolve trial. 
Why? For more trial. So my day, and you see this workload and, and this output, and it's not peaceful. But what is the difference? The difference is that exactly what we said. I'm conscious of the contestation points. I'm conscious of the absence of harmony between yin and yang. Why? Because I'm going to work these things. I'm going to practice the skill. The skill where I release and the conflict disappears. So I don't go days and weeks, right, with no conscious no consciousness about what is happening to me. So two months later, I'm in the hospital again, or I'm sick every effing week, or I'm not sleeping, or my mind is not able to function at high enough level to do what needs to be done in my workday, or with my kids, or with my family, or with my friends, or with my dojo. All that stuff gets thrown into what is Budo. So if I can do Ikkyo, and I am failing at everything else, do you know what I say? You can't do Ikkyo. Don't lie. You're pushing. You're not reconciling. Oh, no, I am. I'm not pushing. Okay, you're hippie Jesus. That's not Budo either. That's just weakness. Well, I don't, I don't, I'm, I'm nonviolent. Yeah, sure you are. You're not nonviolent. Having no capacity for violence is not nonviolent. Right? Only the violent can be nonviolent. So I would say two things, man. Get rid of that state idea. Leave it as a skill. Buddha is a skill. A skill in what? A skill in reconciling yin and yang, reconciling conflict, and the practice of release. By those two things. Now, if you want to ask me, what are you releasing? Self-attachment. Self-attachment. The delusion of self, the attachment to self, the attachment to permanence, the attachment to identity, all things that do not have a dynamic interdependency. So things that are not real. Things outside of this universal worldview. Right? When we, when we think of ourselves, we don't think of ourselves as interdependent with anyone. Shit's happening to me. I'm the victim of my reality. As opposed to I'm contributing to this reality that I am experiencing. I can't be the victim of the reality that I am designing. But when I'm stuck on myself, when I have self-identity issues, in the sense, not, not like, I don't know if I... I don't know my gender or I don't know my, my uh, statehood. or uh, That's not what I mean. The identity issue is that you are so captured by your identity. So when you push, when you push back 
on Uke because you exist. You're like this real thing. And you don't realize that you pushing on Uke is what's allowing them to push on you. <coughs> They're pushing on you in your head. Do you see that? If you could just let go and realize, man, I just made this situation up, then you know what? You wouldn't be stuck in that space. Then you wouldn't contest for that space. And then if you didn't hold that space, you'd realize I am actually not lost. I didn't lose this. But when we push, everything comes into this isolated objective reality in our minds. I exist, this space exists, my victory exists, and all its opposites, my defeat exists. And it all happens somehow objectively outside of, of me, outside of my attachment to me. But when you can release the self, that self-attachment, that space is irrelevant. And you pushing on me is exactly what I need. So the same thing in life. If I don't do this, my boss is going to walk all over you. Who gives a fuck? How can they walk all over you if you're not existing? Oh, no. No, no. If you... If you want me to disappear, then they will really walk all over me. Those sentences don't work. And again, it's because it's an academic setting. It's a paradox, but only at the level of the academic. When you put it in practice, your boss is pushing on you and you go, yeah, sure thing. How do you want it done? I'll get it done. Big deal. Go get it done. That's not the way that I would do it. Who cares? Maybe you have too much identity in your career. How smart is that? Right? Holy cow. Ever heard of layoffs? So drop the state thing. Make it a perishable skill. Develop that skill according to those three criteria. And watch the self-attachment. Practice the release. And have faith that this ancient worldview was onto something. And the more you practice it, and the better you get at it, the better your faith in it. But if you're going to make it a state that you reach once and for all, or if you're going to make it where the world now is conflict-free, man, you're never going to get it. To me, that's all self-attachment. Because it's so, it's so academic. It's so unrealistic. And like I said, I, I don't know anything about it. Every, every bit of my experience has told me that's bullshit. I can trace in most cases I've played with this. When people have talked like that, uh, I have traced their history and it's never good. It always, I've always, it always come, becomes a dabbler. You are a dabbler practitioner. That's how come you think like that. Just like a dabbler jujitsu practitioner really thinks pushing... 
right? Pushing on, pushing on what's pushing on you, that's good. Because that's pressure testing. Yeah, it's not jujitsu, though. You're pushing on what's pushing on you because you don't get it. So the same thing, when I hear people talking about states, who go? Who are you? Where are you? I'm going to find out who you are. I'm going to look you up and research where you got this view. Holy cow. You got it from this source who didn't do any more work than you did, who got it from this source who did even less work, and you guys just been repeating this over and over again. Have any of you ever even practiced this? It'll be no every time, or not for very long. Not really. Even if you take my, my view, if you want to learn this, come here. You're not going to learn it, right, reading about it or watching a video. You can't be a dabbler and understand these things. And these states are dabbler views. So always come back to that. Keep your feet on the ground. Leave it a practice. Leave it a skill. Awakening is a skill. Enlightenment is a skill. Buddhahood is a skill. This concludes this episode of Budo the Way of the Warrior podcast. For more information, please visit sentiencenter.com. S E N S H I N C E N T E R.com. Or find us at Facebook at Sension Center and on our YouTube channel at Sension One. Thank you for listening.